It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Salt Company, how we doing? Yeah, yeah, this is front row right here, let's go. Awesome, awesome. Uh, well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead, open those up to Genesis chapter one. That's where we're gonna be tonight. Um, as you guys flip there, I wanna ask you guys a question. Um, when was the last time you were given two options and both options were the worst, okay? You're like, ugh. You know, they're like, either do this or that. And you're like, how about neither? Um, a, couple, a couple years ago, I was a camp counselor. Um, anybody, any camp people here? Anybody? Yeah. My people. Let's go. Let's go. So I was a camp counselor. Um, and when you're a camp counselor, you have the lovely opportunity to sleep in a tent. And uh, I don't have problems with tents. I don't get the best sleep. Anyway, um, but we're on like this staff trip and there's like about 50 of us and we're gonna go whitewater rafting. And so we, you know, we set up our tents in the woods and, uh, you know, we're, we're starting to wrap up our day and, um, you know, we're brushing our teeth and everything. We get inside our tent, we zip it up and then we start to hear the rain start to get closer and closer, right? If you've been in the woods or maybe you've gone camping when, that's ha- when that happens, you can hear the rain start to approach, Okay. And I'm cool with that. Like, I like rain. It's not a problem. But we know we're like, within moments, we're going to just be absolutely drenched. And then thunder and lightning happens, okay? Any storm people here? Yeah, yeah. Let's go. Um, You're not a storm person when you're in a tent, okay? So (laughs) we had a couple, we had two options specifically. We could stay in that tent, which would be a hazard, okay? Like, we could potentially be struck by lightning, which I guess is... Not a good thing. And so there was that option. And then we had another option, which was we could all, 50 of us, get crammed into a hot bus, okay, uh, for a couple hours. Yeah, thank you, over here. Um, and so uh, we didn't get to choose. Our director told us what to do. So we get out of our tent. It's like 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. We're all grouchy and tired. And now we're covered in rain. And we kind of file into the bus like sardines. And I'm telling you, if you're like claustrophobic, this is your worst nightmare. Like we are like shoulder to shoulder with our pillows, like just like wet, it's hot out. You're trying to roll the windows down because it's so hot in there, right? And so um, we end up being in there for like, oh man, like two hours or something. It was the worst, like it was miserable. Um, But I share that because we had two options. Both were not great. And I think the same thing is true when it comes to our work. I think that there are often, when we think about work, that there are two ways, that two options for how you relate to your work, okay? Maybe you're here and you are at the greatest community college of all time. Go Bears, somebody. Let's go, let's go. False alarm. alarm. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, but you're at school right now and you're wrapping up the school year, another year in the books, and you're thinking about what life's gonna be when you start to, be in the workforce. Other people are working full time. Where are you guys at? Anybody here? Yeah, a couple. That's incredible. But whether you are in school getting ready for work or you are in the workforce, you look around and you often see two options to relate to your work. And if you could be honest, neither of them sound great. There are often two options. You see, some bust their tails trying to make a living and they love their work, right? We talk a lot about how, man, we want to have a job that we're passionate about, that we love, and they have no problem loving their work, but they've become slaves to it. They find it difficult to rest because they are always thinking about work. It's hard for them to unplug. They're addicted to their work and it slims out their friendships 
and it burns them out. So that's one ditch. And we look at that and we're like, well, I don't want that. And then there's another ditch. They, maybe you look around and there are people who they don't care about their job. You show up, you do your nine to five, and that's kind of just life. And eventually you just kind of see them, they're miserable. So those are often the two options. Love it too much or love it too little. And so the question that I hope that you're asking is, is there a third option? Is there a better way? Or is it just those two? And more specifically, if you're a Christ follower in the room, is there a better way? Does the scripture actually talk about work and rest? Is that something that God would ever speak to? And the answer is yes. There is a better way, and it's outlined for us in the very beginning pages of scripture. A way to work that frees us from slavery to our work and that makes all work meaningful and rewarding. And so as we look at our passage, as we see God's path forward, the better option, we're gonna see three things. We have to understand these three things. Number one, the goodness of work. Number two, the focus of work. And number three, the limit of work. If you're not already there, flip open to Genesis chapter one, which will be pretty easy. You just open your Bible to page one. That, there you go. You're welcome. Um, not a lot of context to give because we're in the very beginning, but let me just paint the smallest picture for you. In Genesis chapter one, you get this incredible story of God creating the universe. He speaks and there's life. And it's this beautiful story of, that displays God's power and his creativity. And it's in this story that we can actually see the path forward for our work, a model for how God created humanity, you and I, to work and rest. And so what is it? Point one is this, the goodness of work. Um, a couple weeks ago, I wanted to show a video to one of my friends. Maybe you've been there and you, know, you pull up YouTube. So you know, I'm pulling it up. I'm like, this is gonna be hilarious. I'm trying to like hype it up to my friend. I'm like, yo, dude, this video is gonna be awesome. And so I pull the video up and something gets in the way. An ad. Y'all, have y'all ever had that before? An ad, usually it's high V for me. I don't know what that tells me. Uh, whatever, high V, okay? And if you're lucky, there's like a little like, you know, it'll have like a timer. It's like five more seconds until I could skip this bad boy, right? But in the meantime, you're just kind of enduring it to get to the good stuff, right? Let me show you this video. We're gonna wait. We endure it. And I wonder if that's how a lot of us view our work. Something we just kind of endured to get to the good stuff. Maybe it's the paycheck, right? Maybe it's the weekend or it's a vacation, right? Have you been there? But what if this wasn't how God intended us to think about our work? What if there was more? Look down with me, chapter one, verse 26. Let's start reading. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God did just that. God created man in his own image. He created him. In the image of God, he created them male and female. God blessed them and he said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky and every creature that crawls on the earth. When you think about the purpose of your life, somebody were to ask you what's the purpose of your life, you might answer in a few different ways. Um, maybe if you've been going to church for a while or you've been around the Bible, you might answer it sort of like this. You might say, 
and the purpose of my life, the reason that God has put me on this earth is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever, right? The language we use in this place is we, we are designed to know and follow Jesus. And that is absolutely true. But I think that sometimes what we miss is that that truth is lived out in a particular context, a down-to-earth, literally, context. See, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. According to our likeness, they will rule. Okay, humanity was created to glorify God by ruling over the earth. That's what it says, by ruling over the earth. And uh, that word might be confusing, right? Uh, rule over the earth, like you were created to rule over the earth. That feels a little weird, right? I rule over my homework or I rule over my connection group, right? That feels a little weird to say. Um, but the author, he makes this word a little bit clearer for us. He's trying to describe something and he uses a different word in Genesis chapter two, verse 15. And he explains essentially what that word rule would mean. He says this, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden of Eden to work, to work it and watch over it. God created us to work. Have you guys ever been on like a vacation? Maybe it's Christmas vacation um, or summer vacation. And man, there's just a few days where you, you don't have any plan. You gotta wake up whenever you want. And after a while, if you're gonna be honest, sometimes you hit that point where you're like, you know, this is nice, but I think I'm ready to get back into a routine, right? There's something universal in all of us that, man, there's a, we can rest and we have vacation and it's awesome, but there, there comes a point when I think all of us are like, hey, I think I'm ready to kind of get back into the swing of things. I don't love having no schedule, right? And why is that? Because when God created us in his image, it means he created us to be like him. And to be like him is to work. You see, here in the garden, before sin and brokenness entered into the world, work was part of paradise. I think sometimes we can think that work is just kind of this necessary evil. Work is like part of the curse, it's part of the fall, right? But the fact of the matter is that God created us to work. It was part of his good plan. We know this not only because God's word tells us this, but because our experience drives it home. Guys, it's why unemployment is so gut-wrenching to us. It's why when people are cut off from work for physical or other reasons, they struggle personally. Maybe you know people that are like that. They're struggling because they're just kind of, they're bedridden or they can't go to work and they're struggling personally. There's an inner drive in me and in each of you. There's an inner drive that God has created us with to produce, to contribute to the world. God created us to work and it's a good thing. It's good for our well-being. Now you might be like, Joe, I hate my job, right? I don't like my job at all. I don't get any life from it, right? I, I don't like what I do. Sure, it might be good for my well-being. It sure beats sitting on the couch all day long. But man, like, how can work be good when I don't like my job? In other words, how can I actually feel and know the goodness of work when I'm moving shipments, right? When I'm writing papers for my composition class, when I'm doing math problems or answering phones or mopping the floors. You see, I think the answer is in our passage. Because immediately after saying he will make man in his image, he says they will rule. They will work. So how do we image God according to this passage? 
You might answer in a, uh, a couple of different ways, but in this passage it says, we image God when we work. We reflect our creator when we work. And this reality helps you to see God even in the mundane moments of your job. You see, sometimes I think that we think that God is only with us in our Bible study in the mornings, and then maybe at salt on Thursdays or church on Sundays. And then after that, it's just kind of going off to real life, right? Maybe you've thought that before, and I mean, I've been there. But we can often create this divide where we kind of go on to real life, life without the conscious awareness of God's presence with you, life just kind of doing ordinary work, right? God, he's in your Bible study, but he's not at your workplace, but the biblical picture of work is the opposite of that. Our responsibilities aren't meant to be distractions from God, but to be opportunities to reflect him. You see, he's in the toil and struggle of pulling up weeds, typing up papers, taking up a new skill or hobby. He's in the joy and pleasure of seeing a task through to completion. He's there. Because when we labor, we reflect our creator. So, How is work good when you don't like your job? It's good because through imaging God, we connect with him. Through our work, we connect with God. No longer is work just something you have to get through, but it's an opportunity to connect with your creator through reflecting him. That's what God's word says. Work is good, but how should we work as followers of Jesus? Work is good, but give me something practical like, what, how does this change the way that I work, that I show up to work or maybe at school? Point number two is this, the focus of work. Focus of work. Uh, let's jump up to the beginning of chapter one, verse one. It says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness covered the surface of the watery depths and the spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. God saw that the light was good. And God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness he called night. There was an evening and there was a morning, one day. So I want you guys to notice something in your Bibles. God takes all of the disorganized material, right? So the watery depth that it's talking about, and he's putting his hands to work. He's rolling up his sleeves and he's creating this good world. He's working. And on that first day, he creates light. And what does he say about it? What does he call it? Say it out loud. It's good. Say it with more confidence. What does he call it? Good. Good. boy. Come on. Um, he calls it good, which is great. But why does that matter? Why does the author have to tell us that God called something good? because the author is telling us something about the focus of God's work that actually informs our own. So he made something and he called it good, but let's see if he continues to call everything that he makes good. Let's follow along with me, verse six, jump down a little bit. Then God said, let there be an expanse between the waters, separating the water from water. So God made the expanse and separated the water under the expanse from the water above the expanse. And it was so, God called the expanse sky. Evening came and then morning, the second day. So God creates the sky. And at this point, you have this, I mean, 
seemingly endless ocean, a sun, the sky. I mean, you could probably imagine that the sunsets and sunrises were just beautiful. But if you notice, God didn't call it good. Why? And was it because God was like, eh, we'll try again tomorrow. You guys done that before with your work? You're like, nah, yeah, whatever. It's just math class. I'll try again next time. Is that what happened? That's not what happened. In the creation account, God only names his work good if what was made that day was good for humanity. He only names his work good if what was made that day was good for humanity. So on day two, on the verses that just, we just read, the creation wasn't called good because the earth was just a body of water, right? Humans can't live on that. It's just a bunch of water. But on day three, in the verses just following, God calls his creation good again because now there's land for people to live on, food for people to eat and to live So God himself, he shows us the focus of all good work, and it's this. Good work always serves and blesses others. You see, the author, he's telling us this story. We're his image bearers. He's the image, and we're learning about how we work by looking at the way that he does, and we see that good work always serves and blesses others, that that's the focus of human work, and it's God's model for us because he's creating a good world, not just for his own enjoyment, but for the enjoyment of other people. The focus of our work is not service to self, but service to others. Have you guys ever been around somebody? You can just tell they're like only looking out for themselves, right? They serve themselves only is what it feels like. We can't stand being around those kinds of people, right? They, maybe they're, they wanna climb up the ladder. They want to be admired by some of the top people at your workplace, right? We don't like being around those kind of people, Why? It's because God never designed work to be that way, where our focus is on serving ourselves. The thing is, I wonder if we're each more like those people than we would like to think. Maybe we want to be the best at our job. You should want to be the best at your job, but not so that we can serve others. Maybe that's, we want to be the best so that other people will admire us. Maybe that's where you're at or we don't care about our job at all, so we take shortcuts, we do the bare minimum, leaving others to have to pick up our slack. Instead of serving others, we can use work to serve ourselves, but in Genesis, throughout the entire Bible, work is meant to bless and to serve other people, and God models that first. So how you doing with that? If someone were to ask your coworkers or classmates, what would they say? Does this person serve themselves or do they serve others? How are you doing with that? We work to serve others. You might be thinking, Joe, I cut bagels at Panera, right? I'm a cashier. I don't serve. I mean, like, service, that's for, like, people who work at orphanages or, Joe, you do that. You're a pastor. Ooh, right? You're in ministry. You serve. But me? Not so much. Guys, there's a lot, to ser- a lot to say here, but I wanna say this. Serving others is not exclusive to certain types of work. Get that lie out of your head. Serving others is not exclusive to certain types of sacred work. Notice that when God made Adam and Eve in the garden, he didn't make them like ministry workers, right? They weren't out there leading Bible studies. You know what they were? They were gardeners. 
He made them gardeners. You see, serving others isn't just for the obvious jobs like those who work in ministry or in orphanages or you name it, because wherever you're around people, you have an opportunity to serve them. So if you're a waiter or a waitress, you serve others through helping provide a space for people to relax and enjoy a good meal. If you're a cashier, you serve others through through ensuring the stressed out mom found everything she was looking for. If you're an employee anywhere, you serve your coworkers through showing up on time, being the first to cover shifts when they need to be covered, or by simply being a friend to them. See, as God's image bears, we work to serve and bless others, not ourselves. We work differently. But you might be wondering, does that mean I can't do things I enjoy? Right, that's a natural question to ask, right? Do I have to fill every waking hour with ministry and serving other people? Like what, there's gotta be a limit. Point three is this, the limit of work. So about three years ago at this time, um, the world shut down. You guys were sent home from school. Your parents sent home from work. The world shut down. And uh, there's this interesting study that showed that most people, when the world shut down, they were secretly relieved. No more deadlines, no more work, right? Why? Why did we feel that way? It's, it's the same reason that we get excited for snow days at school or at work, and we look forward to summer vacation. It's because God designed us with this kind of desire when he made us in his image, which means that we not only work like he does, we also rest like he does. Look with me, starting in chapter two, verse one. It says this, so the heavens and the earth and everything in them were completed. On the seventh day, God had completed his work that he had done and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. God blessed the seventh day and declared it holy for on it he rested from all his work of creation. So what does it mean that God rested? Like what? Like God? Like he doesn't need to rest. He's God. What does it mean that he rested? Like, what can we learn about rest from God who doesn't need to recharge his batteries, right? What can we learn about rest? It means that he looked at everything he did and he was satisfied with his work. That's what it meant for him to rest. He was satisfied with his work. Listen to chapter one, verse 31. says this about God. God saw all that he made and it was very good indeed. He looked at his world and he was like, oh man, this is good, this is good. And at the end of the day, he was like, very good indeed, right? This is awesome, this is great. He was satisfied with his work. But the problem for us is that we're never satisfied with our work. We're stuck in an endless cycle of always looking for more things to do. We can't rest without thinking about all the other things that we should do. Have you been there before, right? Like you're trying to like, take a nap or something, or just relax, and all you can think about is that list in your head of all the things that you need to do. Kind of stuck in this endless cycle because the task list never seems to end. And I think that there's something that the author wants to show us that will help us break free from this cycle. I want you guys to notice it. On day one, God, he created light. Day two, he created the sky. 
Day three, okay, you guys are getting the point, right? Uh, why didn't he do it all in one day? He could have done it. After all, he's God. He could have done it all in one day, but he didn't. Instead, he put limits on his work. It's as if the author is saying, hey, image bearers, don't try to do everything all in one day. You're gonna burn yourself out. If God set limits to his work, what makes you think that you shouldn't? Some of you guys are burning yourselves out because you're saying yes to so many things and God didn't design you to. You're stressed, you're exhausted, you're irritable. See, often I find that we do this for one of two reasons, FOMO and guilt. So maybe you're saying yes to more because you fear missing out, right? You don't wanna miss out on making memories with your friends, right? You, You hate that feeling of when you're scrolling on social media and you see all your friends hanging out, right? That crushes you. And so out of fear of that, what you do is you fill your schedule with all these hangouts all the time, all the time, all the time, all the time. And you wonder why you're burning burning out because you're saying yes to so many good things, but man, it's in excess. Or maybe you're saying yes to more because you feel a sense of guilt. That you need to fill every ounce of free time with ministry opportunities. Otherwise, you're being selfish, you're being sinful, and you're wasting your life. That's what you're feeling. Now, while you should spend time with your friends, and while God calls each of us to serve him and others. God didn't design you to work all the time. He designed you to rest. There was a study done a little while ago, and they studied the happiest people on earth. Kind of fun, right? Uh, Studying the happiest people on earth, and near the top of that list was a Christian group called the Seventh-day Adventists, okay? Anybody heard of those people? Few people here and there? All right. Um, But they're towards the top of that list, And these people are literally religious about practicing the Sabbath. In other words, they will take one day a week to totally rest. They don't pick up a shovel. They don't, no work at all. They rest for an entire day. You know what they found about this group? They live, quote, okay? They live, quote, 10 years longer than the average American. 10 years. God designed you to work, yeah. But he also designed you to rest. To say that's enough for the day. To end your work day and to do things that help you enjoy God's good presence and God's good world. I love Ecclesiastes here, chapter two, verses 24 to 25. You should write that down, it's really good. Ecclesiastes 2, it says this. There is nothing better. This might be some of y'all's favorite verse. All right, ready? There is nothing better for a person than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I've seen that even this is from God's hand because who can eat and who can enjoy life apart from him? So take a nap. Can I get an amen? Amen. Amen. Get your favorite ice cream. Go to your favorite park. Laugh with your friends. Go to B-dubs, right? That's right. Come on. 
and spend time resting with Jesus. Maybe it's reading your favorite Bible verses or exploring new ones. Maybe it's listening to a few worship songs, sermons, podcasts. Spend time with Jesus. See, you were designed not only to work, but to have regular rhythms of rest. But there's still a problem. We can take as many vacations as we want. We can relax, hang out with our friends. But if we're honest with ourselves, there's still an inner voice in our heart that says, you are what you do, get back to work. And you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's this inner voice that you have to continue to work. What's the solution to that? See, we need deep soul rest. A rest that quiets the inner voice and allows us to relax. See, Jesus picking up on the language of rest and work in Genesis 1 and 2 that we just read, he picks up on that language. And in Matthew chapter 11, if you want to flip there, go for it. And in Matthew chapter 11, Jesus, who is literally, he names himself the Lord of the Sabbath, right? In Matthew 11, he says this about himself. Matthew 11, starting in verse 28. Jesus says this. Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So are you weary? Are you burdened? Are you overwhelmed? You have this nagging sense that you're never doing enough. Jesus says to you, come, I will give you rest for your soul. Jesus alone can quiet that inner voice. You don't need to keep running, trying to prove yourself to anyone or even yourself. Jesus says, come to me and rest. But how can he offer that rest? And what does that even mean, right? Take a nap, right? What does it mean? And how can he give it to us? You see, we can rest because he did all the work needed. He did it all. He lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. He died your death in your place for your sin. And on the cross, in John 19, verse 10, Jesus shouts from the cross. You know what he says? It is finished. You say that when work is done. It is finished. You don't need to prove yourself anymore because Jesus proved it all. So are you weary? Are you burdened? Come to Jesus. So what is God's better way forward for work and rest? See, it's this. Work is for our good. It's for others but it must have a limit. We need to rest. And friend, your ultimate rest is found in Jesus. You can run and run and run as far as you can. Distract yourself from the inner voice that says you need to keep going. You could fill your day with more, but I'm telling you, you will never quiet the inner voice. 
Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thank you that the qualification to come to you is that we're weary and that we're burdened and that we need rest. And so God, I pray that for those who are in, that, in those categories and that feel just this heavy burden, give them rest tonight. God, I pray for the believer in the room who's already placed their faith in you and man, they've already come to you through faith in you, God, but they still feel they don't feel that rest in, that, in their heart, the eternal rest, that soul rest that you offer. And so Jesus, I pray that afresh, even tonight through worship, God, that you would give them rest. And God, I pray for those who have never placed their faith in you, Jesus, that would come in this room and say, man, that I'm not a Christian. I, I haven't placed my faith in Jesus. God, I pray you would open up their eyes to see. God, that you would reveal to them that, man, there's nothing else that will ever Give them soul rest. Jesus, you offer that to us. Come to me. Jesus, you say it. Come to me, all who are weary, and I will give you rest. God, give us rest. Pray this in your name. Amen.